0: So if you have your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 10—that's where we're going to get to in just a minute. Uh, if you—we're going to start in verse 19. If you were going to go ahead and mark that, and then we'll we'll come back to it in just a second. But some of you guys know that I have a uh, a background in racing—not uh, like illegal side street racing, but like legit racing, like at the racetrack, legit race cars, that kind of thing. Uh, yes, we go in circles and we turn left, but there's more to it than that. Um, but uh, one of the things that, like, that's that's a, one of the things that was a, a big part of my childhood, from or really my adolescence, from about the age of 13 to 20, 21. I probably spent more weekends at a racetrack than not at a racetrack, uh, and so it was a huge part of my uh, kind of formative years. Um, but as important as it was. Uh, We had a rule in our household where that was not the only thing that we were about. My my parents were very good about uh, giving us lots of different opportunities and uh, options. Uh, I I, I see sometimes now when parents live vicariously through their children in sports, and it kind of breaks my heart a little bit because I love sports. I participated as much as I could, but uh, my parents were always really good about not forcing us into things. And so there was more to us. Uh, more to the Larkin family than just being a racing family. Uh, And one of the things that that we prioritized week in and week out was uh, going to church on Sundays. All right, Now, I'm not going to lie, that wasn't always my priority, but that was dad and mom, their priority. Like, we're going to church on Sunday. Uh, And the reason I I bring that up with with racing is because, I don't know how much you know about racing, uh, but most short track racing happens on Saturday nights. Right? And the kind of racing that we did was uh, there weren't any tracks nearby. So the closest track that I would race at, were usually between three and five hours away. Uh, so every here's what most weekends look like for me. Either Friday evening or early Saturday morning, we get up, we drive to the racetrack, we spend all day at the racetrack, uh, we race. If I don't wreck anything, we're done by 10, 11 o'clock that night. Uh, and then we load everything up and we drive three or three to five back hours, hours back to Somerset, Kentucky, and which put us getting into bed by the time we got everything unhooked and unloaded, put us getting into bed around, I don't know, 2-3 a.m. most Sunday mornings. And then it was grab a couple hours of sleep before mom wakes us up for Sunday school just a few hours later. So that was like most of my formative years. Uh, we raced, and we went to church. And so um, if I'm being honest, I think I spent most Sundays from the ages of 13 to about 20 just trying to keep my eyes open in church. I'm Not sure that I uh, retained a lot, right? Just spent most Sundays just trying to not fall asleep. And now in God's providence, I get to watch you guys do the same, okay? It's great, right? <laughs> it's great. Um, but, but the reason I say all that is because even though I didn't retain a lot, Right from Sunday school, youth group, from sitting in church on Sundays. Um, one thing that 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 constant, every Sunday, waking up after about three to four hours of sleep to get ready for church. What that did was it, it ingrained in me uh, the reality that that this, what happens in this building on a Sunday morning, matters. Right, dad and mom. I don't know that they were intentionally doing it, but what they were doing every. Every uh, late night drive on Saturday night into Sunday morning from Hickory, North Carolina, Columbus, Ohio, Nashville, Tennessee. What those trips back home uh, taught me was just that this gathering matters. Right? And so uh, they, they were teaching me what I think the New Testament teaches, is that the gathering of God's people week in and week out matters. And so that's uh, kind of the direction we're going this morning. We're going to look at Hebrews Chapter 10, 19 through 25, probably one of, if not uh, the most central text in the, in the New Testament about why the gathering matters and why we should gather uh, frequently, consistently, week in and week out. So uh, we're going to read it just a minute. Let me give you a little bit of context first. Um, if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about how uh, the gospel creates a diverse community. We talked a little bit about the, uh, the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians, and the book of Hebrews is written primarily to a group of first century uh, Jewish Christians, right? And uh, they were, because of their conversion to Christianity, sort of left the, uh, the Mosaic law and, and Judaism, they kind of left that and moved to uh, sort of the Christian community. And because of that, they faced a lot of discouragement. They faced discrimination. Uh, they faced uh, even some danger of persecution. And so the, the temptation... Uh, for them, because of that, was to kind of go back to what they knew before. Right? If we were practicing Jews, and all of a sudden we convert to Jesus, but now that we're converted to, to Christ, and we're following Jesus, uh, and life has gotten a lot harder for us as a result of that, well, the temptation naturally is to go back to what we were doing before, because it was a lot easier. It was a lot more comfortable. It was less dangerous for some of them. And so the temptation was to go back to that. And so the author of Hebrews writes this book, uh, and, and the whole point of it is he's just trying to lay before them, hey, Jesus is better. Right? Yes, maybe life was easier then. Yes, maybe it was more comfortable, more convenient, uh, less of a threat, less danger. Uh, but, but Jesus is better. right? So he spends the whole, if you're familiar with the book of Hebrews, uh, the big chunk of the book, right in the middle, is really the author just pointing uh, to certain parts of the uh, the Jewish law, like the sacrifices, uh, the whole priest system, and he's, and he's just pointing to over and over again how Jesus is better than these things, right? Actually, Jesus is the fulfillment of these things, is really his point. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know all the sacrifices that the people of uh, the people of Israel had to give in order to be in a right standing before God, and uh, and not only that, but they'd have to offer those sacrifices through a priest who, who operated sort of on their behalf, interceded for them, um, between them and God. And so the book of Hebrews, is if you read it, you're going to hear a lot of the Old Testament language because the author is just saying, hey, all that stuff in the Old Testament, all the, the, the law, uh, all that just pointed to Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice for sin. Jesus is the ultimate high priest who who intercedes between God and his people. And so he's calling them. He's just saying, hey, Jesus is better. Jesus is worthy of of sacrifice. He's worthy of surrender. He's worthy of obedience. He's worthy of your worship. Even if it's harder than it was back then, Jesus is still worth it. And so... That's sort of the, the, the context of the book of Hebrews. Uh, and so let me, let me read verses 19 through 25, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. Starting in verse 19, chapter 10. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Amen. So here's what I've, here's what I've got this morning, all right? I've got straight from the text sort of three, uh, three encouragements, three exhortations, if I can use that word. I, I didn't make them up. They're, they're clear. They're plain in the text. Maybe you even caught them when we were reading through. All right? They all begin with let us, right? Let us, let us, let us. So we'll go through three of those. We'll get to the first two pretty quick, and then we'll spend most of our time in the third, all right? So the first one is this, let us draw near to God, right, That's the author's first point, let us draw near to God. And so again, thinking of the, the context, first century Jewish Christians, uh, because of their, this new faith in Christ that they have, right? so they're, Again, they were Jews following the Old Testament law. They came to believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, was the promised Messiah, was the Savior of the world. And because of their faith in Christ, the author is saying, hey, you can draw near to God with confidence. And to make sense of that, we don't have time for for a deep dive into this this morning, but, but the Old Testament law was that uh, again, they would the, the Jewish people would offer their sacrifices to a priest. The priest would kind of intercede on their behalf. Uh, the only person that could actually enter into God's presence or the place where God's presence dwelt was the high priest. Right? There's the tabernacle, the temple, uh, those sorts of things that kind of go throughout the Old Testament. And the only person allowed into the Holy of Holies, the place where God's presence dwelt, was the high priest. He offered sacrifices on behalf of the rest of Israel. Right? But what, what the author's saying here is no, again, Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. Right? All, those, all those, I keep changing directions just way I point, which means I'm really going to confuse us all. Old Testament this way, okay? All those Old Testament sacrifices, they point forward to Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice. Because all those Old Testament sacrifices, uh, they didn't really take away. Sin They had to be offered year and year after year after year after year. But Jesus shows up, and he's the ultimate sacrifice. He lives a perfect, sinless life. He's unblemished like the Old Testament sacrifices had to be. And Jesus offers his life as the ultimate sacrifice. And if you remember the story, Jesus is hanging on the cross. He says, it is finished, and the curtain in the temple is torn in two. And that curtain refers to this place where, uh, where God's presence dwelt, the, the Holy of Holies, right? And the curtain separated that from the rest of the temple will end the death of Christ for sin. Because his payment was sufficient, that curtain is torn. And now all of a sudden, we have access, right? It's symbolic of we have access to God. We don't have to go through a high priest because Jesus is interceding for us. And that's the author's point here. We can draw near with confidence. There's no more sacrifices to be made. There's no more offerings to be given. It's We have access into God's presence because of what Jesus has done. So the author's saying to them, hey, enter with confidence, with assurance, with boldness. You don't have to kind of Offer your sacrifices and just kind of hope for the best and trust him to the priest and hope that things go well. No, Jesus was sacrificed once for all sins so you can come into his presence, come into God's presence with full assurance of faith, boldness, confidence. And so the author's point, again, these people are tempted to go back to their former way of living. His point to them is saying, hey, you've got unfettered access God, Why would you go back to what you came from? You've got full access, with full confidence, full boldness, full assurance. Don't go back to where you were. This is what you've been given. Let us draw near to God. But that's not His only plea to them. Look at verse 23. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Right? So, the second sort of exhortation to these people is to let, let us hold fast with hope. All right, remember the, the context first century Jewish Christians that are facing discrimination, uh, discouragement at best, or, or, or danger of persecution at worst because of their conversion to Christianity. So you can imagine why they're becoming a little disillusioned with this faith of theirs. Right? Is it it really worth the discrimination? Is it worth the discouragement? Is it worth the danger? They're asking themselves these questions, and you can understand that. And the author, again, comes in, and his resounding answer to those types of questions is, yes, it's worth it. Right, for all the reasons we already talked about, because Jesus is better, Jesus is ultimate, he is the sacrifice, but yes. Right, his, his answer is, is yes, Jesus is worth it. All right, but, but notice where he, he points them. He doesn't point them to uh, find confidence in their circumstances. He doesn't point them to find uh, confidence in the situations that surround them. All right, look again at what it says. It says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. He's like saying, yes, Jesus is worth it. But not because of what you're walking through. Right? There's no promise. He doesn't promise them that things are going to get any easier. Right? It, in fact, it might get worse before it gets easier. Actually, it it might not get better at all. He doesn't promise them any of that. But what he does say is that that he who promised, he who called them, he who saved them, is faithful. So that regardless of what situations and circumstances look like, regardless of the discouragement you face, regardless of the discrimination you face, regardless of the danger, the persecution you might face, he who promised is faithful. He has not abandoned you is the point right he has not overlooked you he is not unaware of what you are walking through in fact he's endured much worse himself he understands he knows what you're you're going through and he will not forsake you and so the the author's message to this people is this hey don't give up right don't go back to what is familiar just because of what you're facing now. All right, don't go back to what was easier, what was more comfortable, just because, it's, just because it was easier and more comfortable. Right? Hang in there. Hold fast, because He who promised, He who called you, He who saved you is faithful. And here's where I want to spend the bulk of our time, right? because it's easy to, to say that. Right? It's easy to say, hang in there with confidence, with assurance, right? Hold fast, regardless of what you're facing, right? Stick, stick with it. It's easy to say that. It's a lot harder when you're walking through the midst of it, right? And so the author knows that. And so his third, uh, his third sort of exhortation is, is, is this. Let us help one another, right? Let us help one another. If you're going to hold fast, in circumstances that are less than desirable. Right? If you're gonna hold fast and not turn back to what you once knew, right, the, the author knows, like, hey, you're gonna need some help. You're gonna need some encouragement. Right? You're, you're gonna need some support. And so that gets us to the, that third exhortation there let us help one another. Let's read verses 24 and 25 again. He says, and let us consider. How to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Uh, so so I don't know if you you noticed when we read through all this the first time. This, these few verses, right? Verses 19 through 25 are jam-packed with plural pronouns. Right? We, us, our, right? even these three kind of points this morning that, that come right out of the text, they're all plural, right? Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us consider how to stir up one another towards love and good works. Right? And, and sort of implied in all of that is that uh, if these first century Jewish Christians are going to uh, consistently draw near in worship, if they're going to hold fast in the midst of difficult circumstances, um, they're not going to be able to do it alone. Right? They're going to need some help. Right? They're, they're going to have to do it together, which is the point of this, this sort of third exhortation. Right? Faced, faced with the temptation of going back to their previous way of life. Right? What they needed was to be a part of a community that was going to uh, stir them up to love and good works. When it was easy to say, like, you know what? Life was easier back here. Let's go back this way. The author's saying, like, no, 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 no. You need the community around you to say, hey, we're not going back there. We're going this way. What they needed was to be a part of a community that was committed to encouraging them in the face of difficult circumstances and and situations. But if they're going to do that, it it required that they actually meet together. It, It required some relational presence that you don't get unless you're together at the same place at the same time Looking at one another in in the eye, right, to to stir one another up towards good works, to encourage one another, to build one another up, to edify one another, to strengthen one another. Like that only happens when you are together, right? And and evidently, some of their peers had, had already kind of pulled back from that community, right? That's what the text says. He says, Let us. Uh, not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some. Evidently, some had already decided, you know what? Maybe if we just kind of took a step back from this community, right? So that, so that everyone didn't see that we were a part of this new movement following Jesus, maybe things would get a little easier if we just kind of retreated a little bit. Let's keep our distance. Maybe things will be a little easier for us. And one of the things that I think is interesting is if you go on and read Further in the chapter 10, where the author goes to next, is he begins to warn and talk about those who, uh, who really just sort of abandon and reject the faith altogether. So I, I don't think it's a coincidence that the author says, hey, don't neglect to meet together. And then just a few verses later, he's warning of the dangers of just rejecting the faith altogether. In other words, it's not unreasonable to think that failing to meet together, that neglecting to meet together is maybe kind of the, the first turn towards abandoning the faith altogether. Right? That's what he's, what he's getting at here. And that, that, the word neglect, I meant to say this earlier and forgot. The word that, that's used as neglect there, it's kind of this idea of, of wrongful abandonment. Right? It's to, to know what you should do, and be like, you know what? I don't think so. It's this idea of like a, like a, a husband or a father who just leaves his family, just abandons them, right? which has devastating consequences. Right? Some of you know that has devastating consequences. And that language is used intentionally here because for us to abandon, uh, to, to wrongfully, willfully abandon Neglect the gathering of the saints. Like it has devastating consequences for us. Whether we know it in the moment or not, it has consequences. So, right, the the, the point here for these people is if they're going to draw near in worship, if they're going to hold fast in the face of uh, difficult, changing, kind of hostile circumstances, they're going to have to do it together. Right? And if it was true for the first century church, it's still true for the 21st century church. Right? And so um, as I kind of thought about uh, the significance of, of the worship gathering this week, there was a phrase that kind of got lodged in my head. I don't know if I heard it somewhere before and it just kind of hung out until now or if I just came up with it off the top of my head. I don't really know. My mind is a dangerous place sometimes. But, but here's, here's what it was. In here is where you get what you need for out there, right? In here is where you get what you need for out there. And let me explain what I mean by that. Um, If you've been following Jesus for more than 17 minutes, you know that it's not easy, right? Following Jesus, I'm not saying like, like it's knowing what to do, is not always that hard, but actually doing it on a consistent day in, day out basis, like that's, it's not always easy to follow Jesus, right? And as the, the kind of the culture changes and things change in the world we live in, like I, I don't imagine it's going to get easier over time, right? I think the days of cultural Christianity are kind of they're gone now. I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. We could have that conversation another time, but right, following Jesus is not easy. Right? Even, <laughs> I think it's interesting that in some of the, the gospel accounts, there's even moments where Jesus tries to talk people out of following him. Anybody else think that's interesting? People are like, Jesus, I'm ready to follow you. And he's like, well, just so you know, uh, I don't have anywhere to lay my head at night, so you may want to rethink that. Right? Like, following Jesus is not always easy. And so there are always uh, there are always challenges, there are always struggles, there are always temptations. Right? Those are very real things. And so the, the, one of the reasons that this gathering is so important and should be a central part of our lives is that this is God's appointed means, one of God's appointed means, but I would say one of the primary God-appointed means for you to be strengthened, encouraged, equipped, equipped, edified, supported, and then sent back out into the world, right? That's part of what this gathering is. And so to say it again, in here is where you get what you need for out there, right? So let me give you some some examples of what I mean by that. Um, It's here in this place, week in and week out, that God's word is opened And it's preached. And and maybe you're like, okay, well, yeah, I can go read my Bible on my own. And I can listen to podcast preachers that are better than you are. I do it every week. right? I love listening to podcast preachers. I read my Bible on my own. But here's what you don't get out there on your own. Is you don't get the word opened and the word preached in the hearing of other like-minded brothers and sisters that are committed to doing life with you that Monday through Saturday can, can, can take this word and help you apply it to your own life. Right? You don't get that in solitude. You don't get that when you're on your own. Right? It, it's here in this place that God's word is open in a community of people who all hear it and receive it together, who try to figure out how does this apply to my life in this season of life, and then encourage one another to do the same. Right? That's what happens in this place it's also here in this place that we encourage one another through singing now here's what i know not everybody loves singing i love singing i uh my wife would tell you i walk through the house like i just sing in general like that's my there's a soundtrack to my life constantly Uh, i used to lead worship Right, that's for the better part of the last ten years. I would sing into a microphone every Sunday with a guitar in hand. Like I still down here, I don't know what to do with my hands during music. Because I'm so used to doing this. I feel like Ricky Bobby up here sometimes it's like I don't know. <laughs> right. So I, I get it. Right? Some of us love to sing, some of us could do without it. Maybe some of us like to sing, you just don't like the songs that we sing here. Okay. Just hang with us, okay? But here's here's what I know is that regardless of what you think about music, there's something special that happens when people sing together, especially when we sing praises to God together. And and here's what's... Even like secular sociological research confirms this. I'm a nerd. I read books. I read a book uh, a couple months ago that was, uh, it, it's not, not a Christian book, actually written by a couple guys that are con- committed atheists. But one of the things that they said in this book was that there is objective research that says when people get together and sing together, that it, it does something in the midst of those people where they cooperate more and they are uh, stronger in their relationships because of it. And and, it's almost like the omniscient creator of the universe knew what he was doing when he told us to sing, right? So it's it's through the preaching of the word that we are encouraged and strengthened and built up. It's through uh, singing the word of God and and the truth of the word of God with one another that we're strengthened and encouraged and built up. But it's also, there's, there's still some more. Okay, because listen, I wholeheartedly believe that the preaching of the Bible is central to the gathering of the church. And I wholeheartedly believe that the church should sing whenever we gather together. But let me tell you what else I believe. Is that some of the best ministry, some of the best encouragement, some of the best uh, building one another up that will happen among us doesn't happen from this platform. It happens through the relationships that we have with one another in this room. Right, that's, that's what let me give you some, some examples. Here's what some encouragement looks like in, in, in these relationships. And these are just a few ideas. Right, it, it's greeting one another every Sunday when you walk in this building. Right, maybe that doesn't seem like a big deal to you, but I can tell you, man, some people with what they face during the week, to show up here on a Sunday morning to a warm greeting for someone. I mean, you could, you could make someone's week by something as simple as that. Right, that's one way we encourage each other. We encourage one another through uh, checking in on one another in, in conversations that happen before service and after service. To be clear, it's usually more after service here, because you guys roll in on two wheels at about 1028, okay? Right, but the conversations that happen after service, so we just encourage one another. Right? I, I've got a, a guy that's asked me a couple times here recently, uh, and it catches me off guard every time, like, I don't know what to do with it. He's like, hey, how are you? I'm like, no, I'm good. No, I mean, like, like really, how are you? I don't know. Why are you, why are you staring at my soul, bro? Right? Like, <laughs> But it's a good question, right? Those are good conversations for us to have, right? Uh, some, some more ways to encourage each other. Right? It's, it's uh, hanging around after service to, to pray with and for one another. Right? It's, it's sharing those needs with one another and then actually taking five, ten minutes here before we leave and go back out in the world to, hey, let me, let me pray for you. Let me pray with you about that. Right? It looks like sharing... Uh, stories and, and, and personal experiences about how the Lord has been faithful to us, how the Lord has sustained us, how the Lord has helped us, sharing those with other people that are walking through similar things. Right? That's a way that we encourage one another. Right? It looks like uh, giving generously to help others who are, are going through a, a difficult time or a difficult season. Right? It looks like uh, even, even outside of these walls, It looks like uh, these relationships continuing over coffee or over lunch or maybe at your dining room table, right, where we just can continue to encourage one another, lift one another up, build up one another, support one another, pray for one another, uh, even even outside of these walls. And, And here's what encourages me as your pastor. All of these examples that I just gave, they were so easy to give because I see them happening. Right? That's what encourages me. Right? All these things, here's what I know. They're already happening among us. So my encouragement to, to you is that we would just continue all the more. Right? All the more give ourselves to these things. And in fact, that's what the, the author of Hebrews tells them to do in verse 25, right? He says, encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In other words, keep at it. Right? The, the reference there is to, hey, keep doing this all the more as you see that the day where, where Jesus returns drawing near. Like one day Jesus is going to return and he's going to make everything, uh, all the, the wrongs right. He's going to finally crush the head of the enemy fully and finally forever Keep doing that until that day comes. Now, when does that day come? I don't know. You don't know. But what I do know is that we are about 50 minutes closer right now than we were when we walked in here. So I would say let's keep going. Keep encouraging. Keep supporting. Keep loving. Keep building one another up. Keep stirring one another up towards love. And good works all the more so before we close let me uh, let me give you a couple of these are really practical steps for us uh, and then we'll we'll pray and, and sing some more together and I'm going to love it and I hope you will too uh, so we spent the last three weeks sort of talking about this idea of uh, community right this community of faith this uh, church family so I've got sort of three sort of I want you to consider what might your next step be involved with this community, right? The the first step, uh, maybe your your next step is the first step of just trusting in Jesus. Becoming a part of this community through faith. Because we are a a community of faith, but the reality is, is if you never trusted in Jesus as your Savior for the forgiveness of your sin, then you're kind of still on the outside looking in. I'm, I'm not saying you're not welcome here. I hope you'll you'll come back and join us and hang around, and then I hope that Jesus will reach in and get you, man. All right, but if, you've, if you're not trusted in Jesus, that's your first step to joining this community of faith. Repent of your sin. Trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. And if that's something you'd like to do, you'd like to... Maybe you just got some questions about that. What does that mean? What's that require of me? Hey, I would love to talk to you at the end of service this morning. Okay? Or maybe, maybe you've done that, though. All right? Maybe you've, you've done that, but maybe you've never been baptized. Right? Baptism is a lot of things, but, but one of the things that baptism is, is it is a public acknowledgement that you are committing yourselves, yes, to Jesus, but also to this community of faith. So if you've never been baptized before, we would love to baptize you. All right, we'll take you through some resources, make sure you kind of understand the significance of what that is and why it's important and then we'll fill up a tub here and we'll we'll dunk you under. It'll be awesome. All right? So if you're here, uh, we'll we'll bring you back up though. Like we would not leave you down there. All right? If 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 that's something that you're interested in then hey, let's have that conversation. That's just, again, another way that you sort of publicly affirm, like, hey, I'm a part of this community. Right? And then here's maybe you've, you've done both of those, right? Whether it was here at this church or at another church, uh, here's, here's the third. Maybe you've been here for a while, but you've never formally committed yourself to this community through church membership, right? And, and so if, if that's you, Right? I would encourage you, hey, come join us. Right? Listen, we're not a perfect church, which is good news for you. You'll fit right in. Okay? Come join us, and, and, and let's commit to one another. Commit to this community. Right? And if you've got questions about that, how do I join? What do I need to do? It's right? a great question. Sign up for Next Steps. It'll be two weeks from today, immediately after this service. That's kind of the, the first step into that, and then we'll have some follow-up conversations, and then we'll bring you right into our church family. We'd love to do that, okay? So, anyways, uh, those are just three options. Maybe the Lord would move you in a, in a, to, to respond in a different way, right? Maybe something that was said fell on you in a different way this morning, right? The Lord works in mysterious ways. I'm not uh, oblivious to that. So however the Lord is, might be moving, might be prompting you, I just want to encourage you to respond to that, all right? So do you stand with me? We're going to pray, and then we're going to sing. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you, and uh, Lord, we come to you, this community. Uh, Lord, grateful that we get to draw near to you because of what Christ has done for us. We're grateful um, grateful that, that we can hold fast knowing that that you who promised, you who called, you who saved is faithful. Regardless of what we see going on uh, out there, outside of these walls, in the news, Lord, you are faithful so we can hold fast. And then, Father, I pray that you would make us uh, all the more into a community that helps one another to do that. That you, you help us to worship you for who you are. You help us to hold fast when it's hard. Lord, make us into a community that that loves one another, that's committed to one another, that encourages one another, that builds one another up, that supports one another, that checks on one another's souls. Lord, that's what you've put us in this place together to do. And so I I pray that you would do that. I pray that your spirit would, would guide these men, these women to respond as you would have them to respond, whether it's to trust in you for the first time, maybe to consider taking the step of obedience in baptism. Maybe it's taking an extra step and committing themselves to this church family um, in a a formal way. Whatever it looks like, maybe it's something completely different. Just pray that your spirit would prompt us or that we would uh, be obedient to your promptings. But We love you, we praise you, and we ask this in Jesus' name.